As, uh, as Jason said, we're, we're in a series as a church. We're looking at, um, we've called it He Is, and it's all about who God is. And, and as we were hearing earlier this morning, it's not about just trying to learn things in our head. It, it's about, yes, knowing more in our head, having a, a, a greater grasp in our minds about who this God is. But, it, but it's about that then going from our minds and going down into, into the very core of who we are and working out through, through the lives that we live. So, so we're continuing that series today. My name's Mark. I'm part of the leadership team here at Jubilee. And it's, it's my honor and privilege to be here talking to you in the room downstairs and upstairs and many of you online. Uh, and I'm sure randomly there'll be somebody listening to this probably in 2023 who's just come across our website. But wherever you are, and whenever you are in time, you are very welcome. Uh, we're a church that loves visitors. We love welcoming people, and, and that's part of who we are. So today's scripture is in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and I'm going to read that to you. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So today we're going to take those two words, Everlasting Father, and we're going to say, He is Everlasting Father. What does that mean? Let's unpack that a little bit more. Let's explore that. And, and that passage is, is a classic Advent passage from Isaiah talking about the coming King. It's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. And, and I don't know, you know, where you are in relation to Christmas. I, I pretty much love it all. You know, we talked there about um, Christmas is overly commercialized. And, and through our own services that we're running at that time, we want to appeal to people uh, from Hull to come and visit us and find something that's authentic, something that's the, the real or the original purpose of celebrating Christmas. But I've got to say this, I love it all. I love the commercial stuff. I, I love the lights. I love the trees. I, I love the fact that, that um, when you're on the roads, that the street signs, there's different things up. And, and I mean, we, we have a discussion in our household if you really do need to buy a new set of lights every single year. Clearly, the answer is yes, because more is more when it comes to Christmas. But, but some people feel that once you've got 12 sets of lights, there's, there's little to be gained by buying a 13th. Um, clearly, clearly, they're wrong. Um, but I do, I, you know, I, I like the whole thing. And I also recognize that whilst I love it all and the trappings and the food and, and all of that, there are some people that actually Christmas is always a difficult time of year. And, and I recognize that as well. Um, but it's not for me. It, it is a time I love. But, but even though, you know, there's all that going on, I've... I've, there's a conflict in me always when it comes to church and Christmas. Uh, and, and the conflict is, you know, we're looking at a prophecy in the Old Testament about a coming king. And yes, there was prophecy that Jesus was going to come. And yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem at a time very close to Christmas. And yes, he grew up and 30 years later started a ministry and died a death on a cross that allowed us to be free from our sin and come into relationship with him. But it is like that advert, isn't it, that Jesus is for life, not just for Christmas. And, and we're having this message now today as part of 
our lead into Christmas. But actually, if I was going to preach this message in January, if I was going to preach this message in April, if I was going to preach this message in uh, September or, or in um, whenever, uh, October, it would still be a great message for us to hear. And it is really good. And Christmas is a time where we can use the trappings of festivity to, to help reach people with the, with the gospel and help reach people with the story of Jesus. But this story, these scriptures that we're looking at, this definition of who he is, I mean, it's for all seasons. I was going to say, you know, I could have preached it in winter, spring, summer or fall, but I thought you'd spontaneously burst into song and it would interrupt things. So, so I went for trying to name months and then made a right pig's ear of it. So we're going to focus on two words. And yes, they're highly relevant to Christmas, but actually they're just relevant. And it's everlasting Father. So in this scripture, in Isaiah 9, I'm going to read the context. So I'm going to read in Isaiah 9 from 2 through to 7. And we're going to see where these two words fit in the bigger passage. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land, deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So yes, it's about Jesus. The passage is about Jesus. And we're picking out of that passage these two words, everlasting Father, and we're going to go deeper into them. Of course, normally, when we're talking about God and Father, we talk about God the Father, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Trinity, the distinct offices and persons of the Godhead. Uh, here, in the passage about Jesus, we're using the descriptive word Father. So let's, let's be really clear. This is about Jesus. When we say everlasting Father, this is not a reference to God the Father. It's a reference to Jesus. Jesus is not, we're not identifying the Son as the Father, but in Isaiah 9, 6, what he's doing is it's describing how Jesus is towards us. You know, this is um, this coming king that will establish this kingdom that we can come into. And his role towards us is a father, a father role towards us. Um, I don't know if Alan's here, but uh, I, I'm a runner. I'm, I'm in a running club. I'm neither particularly fast nor particularly slow. But, but in, in that running club, we have a coach. And uh, 
he's a father. Well, I, he's not my father. Um, I don't even know if he is a father, if he has his own children. But in that context, he's a father. He's an older gentleman. And I mean, I'm not particularly young. And, and I go along and, and I am under his fatherly care. And, and in that way, Jesus is a father. Um, to those who are regenerate, to those who are born again, to those who come to know him, he is a father to us. You know, it says in Hebrews 2 that Jesus is the father of all believers, and to all believers he calls them his children. Something about becoming born again, we become a child, and as a child growing in, in a faith, Jesus is a father towards us. And, and what does that mean? That means he brings us on. He brings us on with supervision, with care. Uh, I've lost where I'm looking at. Uh, it's, that, it's that loving and protecting government. The, the word father is used here because this is an Old Testament scripture. And at that time... Father was the best word to use to describe someone that had that responsibility towards parenting someone, that responsibility to bring them into all that they can be. Uh, the, the, you know, the inheritance laws and then the way families worked were a little bit different back then, and, and the role of the father and the role of the mother was, was different in that society, and the father probably not so actively involved in many aspects of parenting, but carried the responsibility for the outcome. And that's great, because what, what, is, what is he bringing us into with supervision, with care, and with an investment of love? And in, in that passage, it's going to take us to the other side of the comma, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. That loving, warm supervision bringing us on. He's going to bring us to the other side of the comma into the Prince of Peace, into Shalom, the peace of God. But that is, is the next part of our series, and I better, not, I better not preach someone else's message because then we'll leave a hole in this message. So, so that supervision, that warm, that guiding care, that is, that is who he is. But of course... Great as that is, the question is, can we receive that? Because father and fathering is not always, not always a great thing for all of us in terms of our own first-hand experience, in terms of, you know, in this room, what people have gone through. And when we hear that word, it doesn't necessarily bring about the same response that it's meant to do in this scripture because of our own experience. Sometimes, and I've done this more than once, which is really stupid because you, you should learn after you do it once, but I, I've been driving in my car and, and I've been looking through the windscreen and I've thought, I'm going to have to pull over here because it's so misty, it's so foggy, I can't make things out. They all look a bit blurry and I'm slowing down and I'm slowing down and I'm like, this I, such thick fog and I don't know where it's come from. And then I turn the fan on on the windscreen, the windscreen clears... And I can see for miles, and my view is, and, and it was the lens that I was looking at through that caused the problem. And some of us, we have the same issue, don't we? When it comes to, you know, we hear the word father, we hear the word like a father 
and that warm and embracing care that develops us and allows us to come into something. And we, we, we immediately think, that's not what I know about fatherhood. And, and what we've got to do today, and what God wants us to be able to move into, is to be able to get rid of that earthly lens, to get rid of that experience that has held us back, and to become a people that are defined not by our past, but a people that are defined by our future. You know, it's said in that song we were singing, Waymaker. Uh, he's a waymaker. So when, when we hear about the fatherhood of God, there's a stage that we can all get to where we go, that was me, and that is what I would have thought about that kind of stuff. But this is me now, and my reference point is this. It's, it's God. It's not my history. It's my future. And I can embrace this in a new way because I'm free from that. I'm free from that, and I'm coming into this. There are consequences, but there is no longer any relevance. There are, you know, I mean, you know, just putting it bluntly, you know, if you, if, you were, if you were beat badly, you might still limp. There, there are consequences, but there is no longer any relevance. There's been a clean break. And that's, that's what God wants to do this morning. We call it, we call it deliverance, where God changes us. And when we're changed, we never go back to how we were before. There's some miraculous act of the Holy Spirit within us. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pause and just give the Holy Spirit the room and the space to to just work with us as a people. There's just one more thing I want to say about this fatherhood, the, the fathering of Jesus, is that, you know, when we read in the prodigal son in Luke 15, the prodigal son, there are two brothers, and one of them says, I just want all my inheritance now, because I, I don't want to wait till I'm old and you die before I get the money. I want it now so I can go off and live a great life. And he goes off and he spends the money and it runs out, and he ends up in a pigsty, and he thinks... The servants back at home are better off than me. I've messed up. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and I'll just be a servant in my father's household. Um, and, and he repents, and, he's, and he's the, you know, the prodigal is returning. But it says this in that, in that little story, that account. Um, it is a story. It's a parable of Jesus. It's a made-up story to illustrate a point. As he arose and he came to his father, uh, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. You know, have you ever done that thing where you've um, been in a house with other people and someone's gone out and they said they're going to be an hour, and like an hour goes and they're not back? And what you should do is just carry on with your normal routine and whatever it is, watching telly or whatever. But 
But for some reason you don't, you know, you're constantly twitching the curtains going, are they back yet? When are they coming? They're not in the drive? Or, or you're constantly just going, was that the door? Are they, are they back yet? Or, or, or you start texting them, you said it was going to be an hour, why, why aren't you back yet? And, and that's what the father is like here. He's lost his son. His son said, I'm going, and where is he? He's stood outside the house, he's not in the fields farming, he's not looking after the servants, he's stood outside the house looking I wonder if he's ever going to come back. I hope he comes back. I hope he comes to his senses. I hope he comes back. I just so want him to. I just so want him to. I just, I'm, I'm basically, I'm ruined without him. You know, that's, that's the heart of a father. If a father loses a child, it's like, I want everything for that child to come back. And that's, that's the heart of Jesus towards us. You know, we're, we're not perfect, we've been sanctified, but we've left the station, but we ain't arrived at the destination. And we mess up along the way, regularly. And me, I reckon, probably more than the average in this room. But whenever that happens, that father, has, that father heart of Jesus just, I want you to come back. I want you to come back to that closeness with me. I want you to remember what it's like to just be walking step by step with me. And this is deep, but uh, that's, that's what this scripture is about. It's not identifying Jesus as God the Father, but, but. You know, in John 14, chapter 9, it says this. Jesus answered, talking to his disciples, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone has seen me has seen the Father. So although we're talking about the fathering of Jesus, actually as we draw near to Jesus and we are fathered by him, in some way that's not separate from God the Father because in some way the Son is the exact representation of the Father. And even though this scripture is all about Jesus and our relationship with Jesus, there's still something in that relationship that teaches us about God the Father because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So whilst we're being fathered by Jesus, we understand more about God the Father. We understand something deep about the way that the Trinity works. By drawing close to the Holy Spirit, we know more about Jesus. By drawing close to Jesus, we know more about God. Because there is no separation, even though there are distinct offices within the Godhead. I said it was deep. So he's the Father. An everlasting father. And in this scripture, it says everlasting in Isaiah 9, 6. But in Isaiah 57, 15, it says, he who lives forever. In Deuteronomy 38, 27, it uses the phrase, the eternal God. In Job, and I like this one, in Job 30, I like them all. I'm not, I'm, I mean, I've not particularly got a favorite. This one perhaps stands out a little. You want to know what it is now, don't you? Um, in Job 36, 26, it says, the number of his years is past finding out. Uh, Psalm 93, 2, he is for all eternity. And this is another one of my favorites, uh, though we have established, I like them all. Um, Psalm 102, 24, his years go on through all generations. You know, the whole span of human history happens and God is. 
God is. I, so I've got a t-shirt, it's blue. I got, I got it when I was 15, which means it is now 34 years old. Now, to be fair, it's still in quite good condition. There must have been something about heavyweight um, Fruits of the Loom t-shirts that were made in the 1980s that has basically made them bomb-proof. But even though it's in quite good condition, I think that I am going to outlast that t-shirt. I, I don't think it's got another 30, 40 years left in it. You know, archaeological digs and stuff, and that. Um, I don't want to offend anyone because it's not my thing, but um, they get very excited, don't they? And they go, oh, we found a Roman pottery. And, and you go, it's like a little rubbish kind of like splinter of something. Or they go, we've got a silver um, medieval coin and, and it's like tatty as anything and doggy around the edges. And you think, is that, is that really so exciting? But these things are like 2,000, 3,000 years old and they're, they're, they're basically shot, aren't they? And, and that stuff, stuff does not last. We do not last. This body that we're in, it has got inbuilt decay. Um, some of us, you know, we, we get out of bed in the morning and it, it's like gunfire going off. Crack, 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 crack. And, and that's, that's, that's the world we live in. That's the things that are fabricating from the materials of the world. That's the bodies that we inhabit. It's, it's not eternal. It's temporal. You know, it's not going to last. We look at stuff that's two, three thousand years old and people get really, really excited and probably rightly so. And I probably need to work on appreciating history more. But rightly so, they get excited. But let's face it, you know, three thousand years, what's that compared to eternity? So stuff ages, stuff wears out, think stuff disintegrates. And in contrast, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and we're going to talk a bit about eternity and the fact that as an everlasting father, what does he bring us into? He brings us into eternity. And it starts now. And we're going to, when we finish, uh, we're going to just respond going straight back into worship again. We're going to, we're going to worship God. So if the band wants to, to come back up, See, this is contrast, isn't they? He's an everlasting father. He's the one who is. He goes on. And we come into a kingdom, a kingdom that knows no end. We come into eternity. The everlasting father brings us into an eternity. Before that, we had a finite mindset. We, we, our minds, we were thinking about the present. We were thinking maybe 20, 30, 40 years. Your minds have been thinking, oh, I want my children to know this. But that span of thinking was so short. They always say that the aristocracy in this country are the only people that can be bothered to plant trees because if you want to plant a forest, you need two, three hundred years before you can really appreciate it. And there's only the aristocracy that have that mindset of thinking long enough that they'll do something now that will only have benefit in 200 years' time. They reckon the rest of the way that we work economically 
Nobody else can have that mindset of thinking 200 years in the future. And that's where we were when we came into this kingdom. You know, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.18 that what we see is temporary. And, and to be honest, that's where most of us tend to still live in our minds most of the time. Most of the time. But there's something deeper than our minds. Our spirit has become alive and it knows, it knows God. You know, in the middle of our core of our being, we're, we're 100% Holy Ghost. We're not a bit born again. We're born again. We're transformed. And that transformation at the core of our body can move up to our minds, can move up to our mindset. And we have glimpses of this. And we all have an element of this who have become born again. We understand that our physical bodies will pass away, but we will carry on. We understand that we are part of something that's eternal. But this morning, God wants us to take another step further along that by understanding our minds that he is the everlasting father, but it not staying there in our minds, it becoming something that comes into how we live. Something about understanding that the narrative of our lives doesn't have to be a finite narrative. It doesn't need to be about what's going on now, what's going on next week, what's going on 10 years in the future, but actually the mindset, the narrative of our lives can be living in eternity and living in eternity right now. You know, it talks in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 um, about when the perishable becomes clothed with the imperishable. You know, we know when we're making steps on this journey because the way we think about the death of our mortal body begins to change. You know, some of us are still quite scared of that. Paul, in the Bible, talks about, I really want that, but I better not do that just yet because it's going to help other people if I stay in this phase for a little bit longer. I'm not sure, I'm not sure in this room how many of us have got to that stage where we're saying, I, I want that more than this, but this is helpful at this stage, and it's the right thing for me to do. The perishable becomes closed with the imperishable. You know, the story of our lives can be the long story. You know, we talk about Jesus incarnate, the incarnate God coming to the world at Christmas. But we can come to the incarnate God at Christmas. We can come to Jesus the everlasting Father, and in doing so, we can live in eternity. We can live in eternity now, and our mindset can be changed from the inside out. So let's worship God. Let's respond by just uh, standing if it helps.